0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for the Sabbath hours. Thank you for the rest that it brings. And Lord, we do pray now in this moment of time that you would cause us, even now, to step off the treadmill of life and focus our minds on the holy word of God. Lord, it would be safe to say that a majority of of us, if not all of us, have had very busy weeks this past week, and our minds are racing, our hearts are beating fast, and we really need to slow down that we might discern heavenly realities. So Lord, in this moment of time, please accept our confession and our surrender, and again, we ask for your spirit to bring this truth home like never before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Christ our righteousness, let's turn to Jeremiah, I like to call this the gospel according to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, I want to underscore verses 5 and 6 just for a moment, Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 5 and 6, as we attempt to catch a glimpse of Christ our righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 23, there in verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah the prophet says in verse 5 of chapter 23, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord, our righteousness. You see, here we find that Jeremiah talks about a situation where God himself will raise up a righteous branch, the root and the offspring of David, and of course, that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus will save Judah and Israel. And notice at the end of the verse, he is called the Lord our righteousness. That is his name. Now the Lord obviously is a phrase that could be synonymous with Christ. So the Lord our righteousness could be also stated Christ our righteousness. This text clearly states that Judah and Israel will be saved by the Lord our righteousness. Now, it's interesting to note that when we look at our own lives, when we look at human nature, in our current condition, our righteousness are as filthy rags. Would you agree? You can say amen, all right? I can hear you from up here. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. And so the only way that we will see eternity is through the righteousness, the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness alone. Now, that opens a whole nother vein of thought because through this robe of righteousness, friends, Jesus is able to save us from sin. Not in sin. From sin. And we're going to get back to that in a minute because I know that a lot of times that whole vein of thought is misrepresented from the desk of God across America in the churches of God but we're going to talk about that later. But the reality is is that Jesus comes with such a sufficient righteousness that He can save us from sin. And we're going to talk about that later, but I want to cover a couple of things before then. The question comes up now, since Jesus can save us from sin with a complete salvation, we must ask first then, how does Jesus save us by his righteousness from sin. Because we can talk all this theology about how Jesus can do that. But what does that mean practically? Well, I'm going to talk a little theology for a few moments. And then I want to get into a real practical vein of thought on how we can be saved from sin by Jesus' righteousness. Before we understand how we are saved by Christ's righteousness, we must first define both sin and righteousness from the Bible. Now, what is sin? All right. Now, that is exactly right. Now, I I, I repeated this earlier this week, or I said this earlier this week, and I'll say it now. Some people believe that sin is separation from God. I'm here to tell you that sin is not separation from God. Sin simply results in separation from God. But the essence of sinning is the violation or transgression of God's great moral standard, His law. And when I say that, I mean the Ten Commandments. Right? Okay? So when we sin, we violate God's law, the Ten Commandments. Now, what is righteousness? We need to define righteousness now. And what we're going to discover is that sin and righteousness are opposites. Now, I want you to turn back to the Psalms. Let's go back to Psalm 119. I want to get a couple of verses in on this tonight. Let's look at a biblical definition of righteousness. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse 142. And then we'll jump down to verse 172. Psalm 119, and then we'll look at verses 142, and then jump down to 172 David writes in Psalm 119 verse 142 he says thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth so the Hebrew writer here basically parallels three terms righteousness God's law and truth And so the synonymous words imply that God's law is a definition of righteousness. Now, if you look at 172 of Psalm 119, David makes it even clearer. He says, my tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are righteousness. So right here through these two texts, we clearly see that God defines righteousness by his law. So sin is the violation of that law, and righteousness constitutes keeping that law. Now, how many people are righteous? Come on, friends. It's Friday night. It's the Sabbath. You can actually answer. How many are righteous? None. Romans 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one, right? And how many have sinned? All All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what are the wages of sin? Thank you. Yell it out. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And by the way, in that verse in Romans 6, 23 about the wages of sin being death, that is not just a death. That is a natural aging death, so to speak. That is talking about a second death, an eternal death that every lost sinner will suffer in the lake of fire. That is eternal death, brothers and sisters. And since all have sinned, and there is none righteous, and the wages of sin is death, that means the entire human race is under the penalty of the second death. Would you agree? Is that heresy? No. All right, now, in order to be spared the second death, Christ must save man from sin through his righteousness. Since we're all under this death penalty now, Jesus, through his righteousness, must save us from that penalty. Now, what we want to do is address this for a few moments. Because how does he do that? How does he save us? From the second death through his righteousness. Well, Christ must save us from two things. All right? From sin's penalty, the legal violation of the letter of the law. All right? Even if someone only sinned once in their life and from that point forward never sinned again and through their whole life only committed one sin, they would still be under the penalty of the law. And so Jesus must meet the legal demand of a violation of God's law. So he must save us from sin's penalty. But you know what? It doesn't stop there, where many people leave it. He also must save us from the power of sin in our lives. Because, friends, through the nature that we've inherited because of the fall of Adam... And through our heredity and through the cultivated choices that we've made, we have cultivated sinful habits and we must be saved also from the power of sin in our lives, not just the penalty of sin. And so Jesus must save us from sin's penalty and from sin's power through his righteousness. Now, let's see how we are saved from sin's penalty and power by Christ's righteousness. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. I want to show you just a couple of scriptures here. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Romans chapter 5. Remember, again, we have to be saved from sin's penalty because, because we're all under the second death penalty. That penalty must be satisfied somehow in order for us to have life. We cannot have life and not have that penalty satisfied as far as the the penalty of sin. And, And when it comes to sin's power, Jesus must liberate us from that power through spiritual regeneration and renewal in order to liberate us from the pull and power of sin. Now, in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, we catch a glimpse on how this will happen. Now, in verse 8, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Now notice verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His what? Life. Now, these these texts basically are saying a lot of things, but one of the things that I want to isolate here is that we see that according to verse 10 especially, we are not just saved by the death of Christ, we are also saved by the life of Christ. Because friends, the reality is, is that when you look at the standard of God's law, Not only uh, uh, when when that law is violated, we we need not only have the penalty satisfied, but the law also demands a perfect life, a righteous life. All right. And none of us have that to give. And that's where Jesus comes in, because, friends, Jesus death satisfied the penalty. Yes. But what we have to understand is that Jesus perfect life satisfied the requirement that the law demanded perfect righteousness. And you know, when you look at the, at the life of Jesus, Jesus never, ever sinned, not even in thought, one time. And you know, when I first became a Christian, I had to wrestle through that because that is such an incredible concept. Can you imagine living 33 years in this world and never sinning once, even in thought? That's an incredible concept. And so Jesus' perfect life met the requirement of the law to render perfect obedience. And so what we need to realize is that Jesus, in his death, satisfies the demand, the legal penalty of the law, and his life satisfies the requirement of a perfect life. Now, how do we receive the fact that he met those two demands? Okay? faith righteousness comes by faith that's true let's go a little bit deeper into this subject given this reality how can we be saved individually by christ's righteousness what we need to understand is that when we come to christ and see our sinfulness we must first experience sincere heartfelt repentance What we must realize, friends, is that our sins have personally caused the death of Christ on the cross. Have you ever sat down and contemplated how your sins and my sins personally have caused the death of Christ? And has the Spirit of God descended upon you with so much power that you were moved with incredible contrition at the, at the fact that you are personally responsible for that. Friends, the reality is, is that every one of us is guilty for Jesus' death. And when we look at the love that he demonstrated on how he was willing to take our place and, 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 and basically bear upon his soul the collective second death equivalent of every son and daughter of Adam, that should move us to be genuinely sorrow for, sorry for our sins. Friends... How many Christians today that are professed Christians have truly, truly bowed before the throne of God in sincere repentance for sin? Has your heart been broken at the fact that an innocent victim paid an infinite sacrifice just so that you might have a chance at eternal life? You know, I shared this story with you earlier this week but I'll share it in case there are some here that weren't at the meetings this past week but I can remember one morning several years ago I was studying in the morning I was reading about the Lord and studying how Jesus is interceding in the heavenly sanctuary and he's pleading his blood in behalf of fallen humanity and and what was interesting is I sensed in my heart this wasn't an emotion but this was a deep conviction on how I I I was acutely aware of my sins And it was almost as if God passed in panoramic vision before my eyes, my sinfulness. And I felt in my soul, not an emotional or charismatic feeling, but a conviction that I was utterly lost. And that I needed Jesus or I couldn't even take another breath, brothers and sisters, And I'm telling you right now, in that moment of time, I stretched out my hands to heaven pleading for the forgiveness of sins. And did you know after some time of wrestling, even when I felt my spiritual hip broke like Jacob, I wrestled and wrestled and said, God, I need to know I've been forgiven I need to know that my prayer has been heard in heaven I can't go on unless I know for sure because I stand in the desk and I preach the gospel and I don't want to stand up knowing that I am not surrendered and repentant to you and you know after after some time of wrestling this 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 sense of peace came over my soul and it was like this burden was lifted off of me and the guilt and the regrets and all the things that had come up before me and rose up and began to crush me like a weight were released because Jesus, my sin bearer, had taken my sin and my guilt and he had, he had put it from me as far as, as the east is to the west. And I'm telling you right now, friends, I felt like I was a liberated captive because, you know, Jesus came to liberate the captives. And so many people, maybe some in here tonight, live with guilt. And Jesus promises to take that guilt away. And did you know that if we sincerely repent of our sins in true sorrow Jesus death becomes a substitute for our death we no longer become under the, or come under the penalty of the second death because then Jesus death is substituted and then we are what is called in theological circles justified by Christ's death that's a big term that simply means pardon or forgiven. And I felt in that moment of time, in that morning, in that quiet hour, that Jesus had pardoned me and had forgiven me for my sins, and I sensed that I experienced justification by faith. Justification, just as if you had never sinned. But you know what? The gospel doesn't start there. This heartfelt sorrow leads us not just to be sorry for sin, but but moves on us to such an extent that we are willing to surrender our lives and put away our sins. Now, we don't hear this a lot because people don't like to have people stand up and tell them that they need to put away their sins because the reality is is that uh, in most cases, most professed Christians are still sin lovers. But friends, I'm telling you right now, if we really experience the converting power of Christ, we will learn to hate sin. Of course, that's a process. But brothers and sisters, again, if we experience true heartfelt repentance, the axe is going to be laid at the root and the whole tree is going to drop. And it's not that we will never sin again necessarily because, because we are, are prone to make mistakes. And when we, when, we, when we experience God's converting power, that doesn't mean that necessarily the old man dies completely because we still have to wrestle with the old nature. But did you know that when we experience true repentance and then come to the point where we surrender our lives totally to Christ, then the Spirit of God will empower us to live the life of Christ? Do you believe that you can be like Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that you can be Jesus. Don't confuse it. But Jesus can live his life in your soul so that people will see him. You know, I heard it put like this. I was listening to a speaker last year and, and, we, and he was holding an afternoon seminar and this one lady said, you know what, uh, pastor, He's talking to this pastor up front, I struggle with overeating and this woman was, was very slender. I mean, she was slender. and She said, pastor, I struggle with sweets and I struggle with overeating and I don't know what to do. I feel like a glutton. And he said, well, I'm looking at you right now and you sure do look like you have a problem with eating. But then he said to her, but you know what? I found that when I surrender my heart to the Lord, and I allow him to live through me, he brings his temperance into me. And I live out his temperance in my life. And, you know, that was such a revelation to me, brothers and sisters, because when we allow Christ to live in us completely, he lives out his attributes. He lives his same life. And that's what's called sanctification. You see, we're justified by the death of Christ. We receive imputed righteousness, which is just as if we've never sinned. But then we are also saved from sin's power by the life of Christ in us, which is an imparted righteousness that we call this big term sanctification. You see, Christ saves us through justification and sanctification. That's Christ, our righteousness, being saved from sin's penalty and being saved from sin's power. And friends, I think that a lot of times we focus on justification and we, and, and, and we just stop there. It's so important, yes, but we have to remember that self must die as well. And we must learn that we have to surrender to Jesus so that he can empower us to have victory over the sinful tendencies in our lives. There is no sin too strong within us that Jesus cannot help us to overcome. The problem is, is that we need to learn to surrender and surrender because sometimes so habits are so deeply rooted in us, we don't really persevere in that experience. But we need to learn to surrender in a constant state of repentance in order to preserve our justified state because sanctification preserves justification. You know, I'll never forget it. I was in an evangelistic series. And it was the morning of the baptisms. I went into church that morning. I was I was riding a spiritual tidal wave of of joy because there were souls that made their decision to be baptized. And, And I walked in, and this precious sister came up to me and she said to me, Pastor Mark, did you fill the baptistry last night? And you know. Before I left the church, I actually did. I I ran the water a little bit, filled it up, you know, to get the baptistry ready for the next morning. And I said, well, and and I could tell she was just abrasive. Have you ever dealt with an abrasive person that just, I mean, your nature recoils and you want to step back and say, oh, mercy, I don't want to be around this person right now. Well, I mean, I could feel the abrasiveness coming out of this woman. And I said, well, and I was very tentative. And I said, well, yeah, I, I did. Well, why didn't you clean it? And she just jumped all over me. Look, Go look at those floating cockroaches and dead spiders and leaves and all that junk in there. Look at that muck floating on the top. Why didn't you clean the baptistry? Would you want to be baptized in garbage water like that? I mean, just jumped all over me. And you know what? Self came up. Right? And, and let me tell you what I thought. I'm the evangelist. Who are you? To talk to me. You know who I am? You don't talk to me like that. And everything within me wanted to arise and just verbally accost this woman, you know? But then you know what? The Lord spoke through my thoughts. Mark imparted righteousness, the power of the Spirit to subdue the nature. You see, this all happens in a moment of time. Subdue the nature. Surrender the irritation, sanctification. (laughs) Oh, Lord, this is tough. I realize warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought, right? What battle do you ever need to totally surrender to have complete victory? You look at any earthly war, there's never been a time in in earth's history where a general has totally surrendered and had total victory. Well, that's the way Christianity is. It's the opposite of the way the current of the thinking of the world is. And so the Lord impressed my mind. Look, you're around the tree of knowledge. You're going to eat that fruit. You've got to get away. You've got to flee. Lord, I don't want to flee from this woman. Did you see how she just spoke to me? And then the Lord impressed me. Run to the bathroom. And so I ran into the bathroom. Ran into the last toilet stall. Closed the door. Knelt down and said, Lord, I'm so irritated right now. I want to explode. But then after after a few moments of, of kneeling there, you know, the Spirit of God, you know, He subdues us when we submit and surrender, right? And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to go pray. This thought, and again, he didn't say this audibly. It's just the thoughts, right? Go pray with the woman. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) I can't do that right now. Well, I want you to go pray with her. And so, you know, and it took a surrender, brothers and sisters, all right? But the Lord impressed me. Look, my gospel is powerful enough to help you to overcome this situation. And so I got up, and I went up to this sister, and I said, you know, um, can we go over here privately and have a talk? I really feel like we need to pray. And I could tell when I approached her, she was just kind of like, okay, you know, she was really kind of hesitant, because I think she thought I was probably going to jump all over her for what she said. But you know, we went back into a private area, and we knelt down and began to pray. And I, and I started praying, and did you know, as I started praying, she began to weep. And when I was done praying, she said to me, Pastor Mark, could you ever forgive me for the way I just spoke to you? I wish I could tell you what's going on in my home right now. And why I'm irritated has nothing to do with you. That baptistry with the floating cockroaches just pushed me over the edge. But I'm dealing with so much right now, and I just kind of let it out on you. And I'm sorry, could you ever forgive me? And then I realized right then that God had the right course of action. Amen. But friends, let's face it. I mean, we're in a battle against self. And I'm here to tell you that the righteousness of Jesus can help us to subdue our sinful tendencies. But we must learn to surrender habitually. Because friends, if we do not surrender, we're going to fail. The only human element to salvation, if, if any, is yielding. Salvation is completely a work of God. All we have to do is allow God to bring that power and that grace into us so that he can save us from ourselves. I moved to Hickory two years ago, the Hickory area. I just told you about that in my introduction. You know, Hickory is the one-way capital of the United States, I'm convinced. And, it, and it's a very difficult city to circumnavigate in a car. And I don't mind telling you that I've made some wrong turns at uh, turns at times, and and I'm telling you I'm amazed at how impatient some of those drivers are there. I mean, I've had people just just basically swear at me, and 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 make obscene gestures at me, and and you know my flesh wants to rise and and go and 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 chase them down, you know, and talk to them and say, listen, you know, you, you know who I am, you know, all right. But you know what? Even in the car, God can say, you know what? They're obviously unconverted. Pray for them. I was at Southern Adventist University a few years ago working on an MA. And it was the first day of class in the morning. And, you know, they give you these student ID cards. They probably, they might, I don't don't know if they do that here or not, but they probably do. But I had this uh, student ID, and I I forgot that you have to go to the the business office and have it activated before you can go buy breakfast on it because it's like a credit card. All right? And so this is the first day of class. The the place where you buy the breakfast is packed. I mean, there's a huge line. And here I am with this tray full of food, and there's a whole line of people behind me. And I'm up at the cash register, and and this dear young lady takes my card, and she swipes it. I'm sorry, sir. This card isn't activated. You're going to have to put your food down and go get it activated. And... (laughs) And I was like, please, you know, and I looked behind me, and I could see all these people getting irritated at me. I mean, they were like, they were like come on, buddy, you know, we got class, let's go, you know, and I'm like, look. I, and I started pleading my case. I said, look, you know, first day of class, can you cut me some slack? I'll keep track of everything. You can just charge it on my account later. I promise you, I'll pay every penny. Well, I'm sorry. Policy says that you need to have your card activated. Praise God for the policy, amen, all right? But nevertheless, I said, look, please, and she said, I'm sorry get out. And I said, well, can I, and my, and you know, my flesh started rising. rise and I started getting a little impatient. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? Do You know who I am. Again, the same thinking, right? I'm a sponsored grad student. All right. I'm sponsored. All right. I'm good for it. My conference is good for it. Get with the program. And these all, these are all the thoughts that come up in your mind. But you know what? Jesus was there saying, look, imparted righteousness, sanctification, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Oh, Lord, what would you have me to do? Just be patient. So I finally said, look, can I leave my food right here and run down and do it and come back? And She said, I don't care, go ahead. So I ran down there and got my card, and I I gave her a look like, you know, I'm going to deal with you when I get back. When I get back, I'm going to deal with you. And so I went down and I got my card, uh, all, all initialized or whatever it was, and I went back up and begrudgingly went through the line, giving her that, you know, that, you know, Lord, Lord putting the little clothes on the mouth there, you know, he didn't let me speak, but you could, my body language and my looks, you know, just bread irritation, you know, you been there, and so I, I finally swiped my food, and then I went out into the dining room and sat down, and then I bowed to bless my food, right, oh, Lord, please bless this food, and then the Lord, you know, speaking through the thought, says, you know, you have this unresolved issue here. How can you pray to me with a clear conscience when you're a minister of Christ and you just treated that girl like that? There's an unresolved issue there. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Go back to where you left me and let's meet up again. And then I'll walk with you and then we can we can deal with this prayer over the breakfast thing. And so I had to eat crow, as it were, I said, you know what, Lord, you're right. And so I went in to this girl, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, and she gave me a look like, oh, mercy, you know, there it comes. But then I said to her, I said, look, you know what, I'm a minister, and, I, and I'm really sorry for the way I just treated you. I'm very sorry. Could you forgive me for that? And she said, sure, it's no problem. And you know, every morning, when I went through that lunch line, I, I was sure to say good morning and, you know, to, to build that rapport with her, and by the end of the session, you know, we on talking terms and things worked out. But you know what, friends? You can understand through these stories what I'm I'm trying to illustrate. Justification is beautiful because it sure does give us a sweet release from sin. But you know what? We need to learn to walk in the sanctified walk too because Christ's righteousness also covers victory over sin. That power can save us from ourselves. And friends, the reason why we do not have more power as Christians is because we have not tapped into that yet. But did you know that Christ our righteousness in both of those dimensions is the third angel's message? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That is the glory of God that lights the entire world in Revelation 18.1. And we, as God's people, need to learn to surrender ourselves and to experience the power of God in those situations. And so I encourage you today, learn to cooperate with God and surrender to Christ and experience the victory that He brings because He will bring you off more than a conqueror through Him that loved us. Here's the theological question, just as a side note. Does Christ's righteousness cover filthy garments? You know, I saw a picture in an evangelistic slide about, that showed a man with filthy garments on and then Jesus is behind him with a white robe going to cover him. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's not theologically correct. Because the reality is is that Jesus removes the filthy garments. You see, Christ's righteousness isn't a cloak to cover premeditated and calculated sinning, friends. Christ's righteousness never covers calculated rebellious sinning that is unrepented of and, and, and not surrendered. But it covers our nakedness once Jesus removes our sin. That's a theologically correct position. And I want to show you a text just real quick in Zechariah. Just jump back to Zechariah just real quick. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is our final text tonight. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Notice what the Bible says. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. "...and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments." And the angel of the Lord stood by. Notice right there, very clearly, that Jesus removed the filthy garments and then covered the nakedness that that resulted subsequently with his robe of righteousness. You see, Jesus wants to remove sin from our lives. Not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And through that, friends, it takes true, heartfelt repentance. And a complete surrender to Christ. I want to ask you a serious question tonight. Have you truly in your heart of hearts sincerely repented of your sins before Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you have said, I absolutely and completely surrender myself entirely to you, Jesus. Take all of me. Can you say that? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, probably none of us can. But we can strive, friends, each and every day to say, Lord, today I want you to take all of me. Aren't you sick and tired of a powerless religion? I mean, give me a break, friends. I mean, I'm so sick of religion in a sense that this endless round of ceremonies having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I want to tap into the power of God, friends, because when I look at my life and I, and I look at what's in my heart, I don't like what I see, and I want God's power to change me, brothers and sisters. I want to be genuine and transparent. I want to be a Christian, not just profess and act all holy and righteous, trying to clean everyone else up and not looking at my own soul. I want to be right with God. I want to see eternity, and I realize that the only way that I'm going to do that is by surrendering in total contrition and repentance to Jesus each and every day so that His righteousness can infuse my very soul so that I can be a Christian and not just profess it. Friends, we need that experience. It's not an option. We will never see the eternal world without that experience. That's why the message to the Laodicean church, you know, I counsel to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Right. That thou mayest be rich and 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 white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And and I salve that thou mayest see the gold of faith, the garment of Christ's righteousness and the discernment of the spirit of God to live a godly life in the most serious and important time, a time of unprecedented wickedness and a time of investigative judgment. Friends, I'm here to tell you, we need Christ's righteousness more than ever before. This message is to light the whole world with its glory, with with God's glory. And and friends, listen, this is a two-dimensional righteousness. Sanctification, well, justification, sanctification, imputed, imparted. Pardon for sin and power to have victory over sin. That is what Christ's righteousness brings. And we need to experience that. So I ask you in an appeal tonight. Do you have the sweet assurance of pardoned sin in your soul? Is the axe laid at the root of sin in your life to where you have surrendered all to Jesus? You see, Jesus came as a solution to the sin problem. He wants to pardon and remove sin from us so that we can meet him face to face. Friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, I want Christ's righteousness to save me so I can look into the eyes of him who personally paid my second death for sin. Don't you want to see him? Don't you want to spend an eternity with him? Would you truly tonight like to truly receive Christ's righteousness? Which again transforms just a form of or transcends rather just a form of godliness, but truly brings the power of God's salvation into our hearts. You want to experience that? Friends, I, I got I to tell you this again. I you know <laughs> I'm so sick of seeing God's people lacking the power that Jesus brings. And, I, and I'm, I'm sick at myself, too. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm not trying to point fingers. But we, but we need that power. We really need Jesus to have all of us. We need to experience that. Because t- the times in which we live predicate that we should be reflecting the character of Jesus to everyone around us in this time. I'm reminded of the words of an, of an old hymn, a famous hymn. It says, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I in him be found, clad in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Do you want that righteousness? Are you willing to pay the price, not in a work sense, but in humbling yourself? to true repentance and true surrender so that you can receive the pardon and victory and all the fullness of God that Jesus wants to give you through his righteousness. Will you make a commitment right now to receive that precious gift from God? How many want to say with me tonight, I want to receive that gift with all my heart, without reservation. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for blessing us abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your righteousness. Thank you for pardoning us and for leading us to repentance. Thank you for giving us the victory, for giving us your life For allowing the Holy Spirit to replicate your exact life in us. Thus bringing your attributes. That we will live them out. Father I pray tonight that you would bless the commitments that have been made. Lord give us the power. That comes from this message. Help us dear God. Don't cast us off. Forgive us for our sins Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Empower us to experience that change of raiment, remove our filthy garments from us and clothe us with the pure and spotless robe woven in the loom of heaven. Jesus, we want you to have control completely of our lives. Please, take control and bring us off more than conquerors. Bless your people tonight, Lord, and keep them until we meet again.